Welcome to the Business Intelligence Podcast from Proactive Worldwide with David Kalinowski. And today's conversation is on business intelligence wargaming. You're listening to the sound of my son playing the game Clash of Clans. And after learning about how organizations can engage in exercises where they simulate attacks and defenses against competitors in a war game like Atmosphere, I thought of this wildly popular game and how organizations might engage with equal intensity and in the process learn a tremendous amount about themselves and how to win against competitors. Continue listening to hear how David and Proactive Worldwide facilitates wargaming. Tell me, in a nutshell, what is wargaming? Wargaming is a very important uh, strategic tool that a lot of companies are not using as they ought to. I would look at wargaming as a a strategic formulation tool. It's a way to be able to have uh, an experiential, human-based, intelligence-driven activity that really involves behavior model role-playing. So if anybody here thinks about it, just walk away with the words, you know, role-playing in your head. We're able to really better understand the competitor's mindset uh, so that you can pressure test your own strategies or in some cases create new strategies, uh, be able to anticipate likely moves and, and develop some counter moves. Uh, and really war games about you know, having a structured framework to be able to assess the beliefs and the assumptions and really the overall business environment. Uh, even including potentially, you know, governmental regulation, the supplier issues, customer factors, other industry movements uh, to help identify blind spots inside your organization so that at the end of the day, you're, you're engaged in a, in a workshop that allows you to think about, you know, how do we outmaneuver our competition? Is there a different name that it goes by or do, do people call it different things? Yeah, great, great question. Now, you know, the words war game or war gaming, we often call them uh, scrimmages as well, uh, especially if it's a, a smaller scale type of engagement, not maybe even the whole day, or maybe it's only one competitor in a specific issue that you're looking at. We might call that a scrimmage. Uh, but competitor simulations, even though there's no computer simulation, it's human versus human mindset. Uh, and, and another phrase might be scenario planning. Uh, there are certainly some different approaches involved in scenario planning and in creating scenarios than what a war game involves. But uh, again, that's another way in which uh, organizations might describe this type of a, of a tool. What isn't war gaming? It's not about uh, detailed analysis. It's not you know, doing this rigorous uh, assessment of at a, at a uh, granular level of the environment. Uh, it's not a quantitative assessment. So it's a very qualitative, uh, strategic level of interaction that takes place. Doesn't mean there isn't quantitative data that you use as part of the the, the exercise or the workshop. Uh, it's definitely not, as I mentioned before, a, a co- you know computer simulation. And finally, you know, it's not dull and boring. <laughs> you know, they're they're super engaging and exciting and uh, energetic and always result in actionable outcomes if done right. Can you give me some examples of business applications? There's really two types of applications. There's strategic situations and tactical situations. Strategic situations, Gary, can involve things such as you know, market disruption, big regulatory changes, uh, competitor business model shifts, maybe market entry, a uh, new entrant coming into your space here, or you're looking to enter into a new space. Um, looking at scenario testing. So again, hey, before we hit the enter button, 
let's better understand to see if we even have the right strategy in place. Uh, looking at merger and acquisition, you know, value proposition creation, and even things like uh, you know customer experience and digital strategy. Those are all types of strategic situations you know, a company might be facing where playing out a, a war game can help better inform investment decisions. The tactical situations can be things such as a very specific product launch that you're planning to enter a market or a region or a new category, and you want to understand how the competitors will respond, and you start preparing your counter responses. Sales adjustments that have to be made. So reevaluating your go-to-market strategy you know, and, and seeing how to better adjust some of your, your uh, tactics uh, associated with marketing and, and other efforts with that. Looking at indicators and blind spots. While there's certainly a link to strategy with those, there's also tactical learnings that could come out by identifying things that maybe you don't see in yourself that others see in you. Uh, and a couple of the tactical situations are, you know, channel modification. So are we in the right channel? Are we, are we, you know, targeting our customers to the right distribution approach here? Uh, user experience. So before I mentioned customer experience from a broader engagement standpoint, from a strategy standpoint, but from a user experience, you know, what's it like for our customers to actually go through the process, their journey map in, in being able to find us and trying us and buying us and using our services here. Uh, and then finally, you know, uh, market defense. While there's certainly, again, a strategic component, a lot of the things you learn in a war game that's more tactically driven around market defense are the specific actions you take to blunt the competition from a from more of a street-level tactical approach. So it sounds like you're kind of dis- describing why people would do a war gaming scenario. Why would they engage in one? Can you elaborate on that? Why do it? I'll share with you probably three or four uh, quick primary reasons why, from our experience and engaging in these for you know a couple of decades now, number one, aligning leadership on the market and the competitive landscape to develop or test your strategies. Second would be you know, in- increasing the probability of success. You know, a lot of times you just, you're launching strategies and you don't know whether or not it's going to be successful. You, you think it might be, but playing out the strategy a bit more in advance will increase your probabilities because now you'll be able to, able to sense the potential uncertainties that might come into, into play and, and get a sense of future uncontrollable events or trends that might happen and how do you prepare for that. The third is uh, helping to evaluate alternative strategies to mitigate risks and, and, and threats that a company can face. And how do, you, how do you neutralize those to have your plan succeed? A fourth primary kind of benefit of the value of, of a war game involves recognizing opportunities uh, or hidden opportunities, really, uh, that the company can exploit. Uh, those would be some of the primary uh, you know, benefits. And, and a couple of important secondary ones that I want to note, though, are because you're bringing cross-functional people together, so people in the sales and marketing and operations and distribution and finance and legal and all these other different groups to participate, and, you know, you get this cross-functional collaboration and teamwork, uh, and that helps to break down communication barriers and the silos that often exist inside of organizations. So getting everybody on board and knowledgeable about the strategy and about the direction because they participated in this kind of an event. So when you're actually executing it, you got some some people that are already you know on board uh, because they were part of the decision making process. Have you ever had any clients that came to you and said, "Yeah, we want to do this war gaming, but we've got some people in our organization who are not really sold on it." We call that you know appetite. <laughs> so do they do they have the appetite to engage Ooh. as part of their culture in this type of an event? 
if they don't, oftentimes I find because there's just a lack of education of what it is. Because why would anybody not want to better understand what their competitors might do in response to a product you're going to launch? Or better understand before you invest millions and millions and sometimes billions of dollars in executing a strategy, why would you not want to understand you know, what, what the impact could be from external factors that could derail those plans so you could go back and shift and adjust some things, you know, before you actually roll it out. But people don't because they don't often understand it. Uh, and maybe sometimes it is by using the word or game that might alone turn people off. So what, what we've done is to help, help individuals understand that we want to help you to build the capability. It's not just about hiring you know, us or whoever that might engage in some kind of a, you know, facilitation of this event. The ultimate goal is to be able to let leadership understand that if you're someone introducing this tool, whether you're in strategy, whether you're in the intelligence function, whether you're, you know, a brand leader and you want to introduce this and you're having trouble getting acceptance, we found that by being able to say you want to build the capability in-house. So we take an approach we call it, you know, OCD, you know, observe, ah. cooperate, do. We want you to observe how to do them. So, you know, have us come in, work with you. You see the whole process start to finish. The next time we'll do it together. There'll be pieces. You do some of the heavy lifting and we'll do some of the lifting. So that's the, the cooperate part. Then eventually you go and do. So that way after after about the third time you do one of these, you know, certainly if you you want some other outside help to come in and do it more, that that's great. But the idea is so that you don't have to. So you build it into your planning process. And that way, when you're talking about investment, you're talking about the investment from the standpoint of building a capability. And most times, senior leadership you know, endorses that type of an approach. So it sounds like you're saying that a really healthy company is, should be probably doing something like this on a regular basis, whether it's internal or external. There's some companies that who do handle this, this tool uh, eventually you know, on their, themselves that do 30 or 40 of these a year but they're much smaller half-day scrimmage workshops. They're, they're not massively intense uh, type of games. But for the big decisions, for the big issues, for the big transformational shifts in your business model or, or changes that can affect your business, yeah, spending a couple times a year doing it right uh, to really learn uh, is something that, that ought to be part of the, the culture. It made sense to me when I compared what David was saying to watching my son's soccer team. How the idea of dividing the team up and then scrimmaging against each other is an essential part of their practice. David explained how you don't just show up to the game without having an understanding of the typical plays to expect, how the other team will attack or defend. Playing it out in practice is an important strategy that even soccer moms or dads like myself can understand. He then went on to describe how in business wargaming, the way you set up a scrimmage makes all the difference. Who you have participate becomes a critical component to the event's success. Uh, you want to have the right mix of personnel, uh, the right personalities, the right level of knowledge in the room. Uh, you ha- want to have the right folks ah. that could be adversarial. So it's not a big kumbaya and everybody is always you know, joyful and happy. You need some people in there that are going to say some some bold, abrasive things at times, but in a professional way, of course, that shakes things up, that challenges the status quo. People will show up with, whether it's t-shirts of the competitor team with all kinds of little tchotchkes or other types of, you know, little uh, items that will allow them to sit in the skin of the competition. You want to, you also want to be able to reflect the character and the culture of the competitor. You want to be able to act and see the world through their lens. And so, you know, these are not affirmatory exercises that 
you know, okay, yep, yeah, everything we're doing is great. You know, if, if you end up at, at the end of this saying, yep, yeah, we don't have to change anything, then it was done wrong. Right. <laughs> you know? That makes uh, sense. But yeah, getting into it's a key part of it and, and sitting in the skin and acting like your competition. And, and that's why we'll even tell people when they're at, you know, role playing their particular team and doing a breakout exercise, you know, they'll say, well, they, well, they do this. And say, no, no, we, you're now representing that company. So we have to remind them a couple of times to, to operate as if you are thinking like that competitor. It's hard to do. You know, it's hard to do because you're so used to 10 years or 20 years, you know, thinking like yourself in your own company. Now, for half a day, you're asked to say, you know, think yeah. like the competitor. Ah, yeah, that makes sense. Can you describe how long a business war game takes and uh, the process? Yeah, you know, it takes usually about an eight to 10 week overall process. The first phase is around the, the, the pregame planning. So that's really understanding the objectives, uh, the, you know, who's the, what teams are going to be involved, who the participants, where's it going to be held, uh, what are the exercises to achieve the end outcome and, and several other areas around that. But part of that is also the, the briefing book development. And the briefing books basically are, are you know, documents that are less than usually 20 pages because you actually want people to read them in advance of the game. Uh, you have anything much longer, nobody's going to read it. Um, it it's, it's the document that gives all participants basically a baseline of knowledge and facts and insights and perspectives you know, on the market, on the landscape, you know, and, and the company culture. Right, So they include things like, you know, the market figures and competitive overview and insight about the company's current strategy, you know, the, from a corporate standpoint, brand standpoint, marketing, sales, uh, and, you know, uh, pipeline development, financials or future outlook, distribution, whatever, whatever you want to have in that profile. But it's to give everybody an understanding in advance. So they get that book um, about three or four days before the event. You give it to them much sooner. They're, they're not going to read it. Anyway, <laughs> until a couple of days before the, the event, so it doesn't right. make sense to produce it any sooner. But that's really the only prep work that the participants need, you know, an hour or two in advance to, to read this briefing book uh, before the event. So the briefing, you spend time putting that together because it sounds like that's not what clients are used to doing. That's your specialty, right, is studying all that stuff and bringing that down to bear it's a profile of, of the companies that are going to be, that they'll be representing in, in the organization. And, and that information is largely drawn from, from secondary or published content. Every now and then you'll have a war game that requires more primary research because the topic that we're looking at, and there isn't anything really written or published about it. So you got to go and do some extra research. And we often work in collaboration with the research team at the client location because they may have some insights already pulled together on the competition, on the market. So we don't want to duplicate efforts. So if they have content to share, we'll wean that into the briefing books as well. You mentioned that you establish a research team at the client. No, usually most clients have a research team of some sort already, whether it's an intelligence team, a market research team, a customer insights team, and just a matter of collaborating with them on getting some of the market data they may already have. But if they don't have profile data already drafted on their competitors, then that's something certainly that we do. We take on that responsibility, pull those briefing books together. It sounds like setting up a debate. <laughs> There certainly are a couple different sides. There is some kind of a resolution or an issue. There's a moderator or a facilitator. The difference is instead of having you know constant adversarial views as there are in debates, everybody ultimately in the room has the same vision and the same goal around you know helping to achieve whatever the particular objectives are. By the end of the event, 
you're, you, everybody puts their own company hat back on. And now you start thinking about what yeah. did we learn? What do we have to adjust to modify in our strategy? You know, what do we need to be able to do as our next steps uh, to be able to, again, seize the opportunities we identified or to blunt the threats that are most significant? Right. So you got two teams kind of playing against each other, but then in the end, everybody joins the same team and, and kind of... Yeah, and actually, happened. it's usually four teams in a typical game. There's usually the home team is represented by your own company. And there's usually around five to seven, maybe five to eight players per team. But you have a home team and then you'll have uh, two or three competitor teams. So, you know, it's not just one-on-one. Oh, okay. One-on-one might be more of the scrimmage approach. And looking at multiple okay. players, because they all have different... You know, dynamics, they all have different elements that they're bringing and different views of of the market. So understanding how multiple players are looking at a particular issue. And sometimes, Gary, it's not even all competitors. You might have a couple competitors as other teams, but then you might have a customer team. You might have a distribution team. You might have a team representing regulatory, right? So that, you know, it doesn't always have to be just about the competition. Tell me how the facilitator works his magic. You know, that's the heart of the whole engagement. Without a very strong facilitator that can keep things on time, that can ask the tough questions professionally, of course, but still be able to ask some things in the room that others aren't asking, but know it needs to be asked. The ones that can help to provide guidance on completing the exercises and making sure the outcomes for those, you know, get the data and content that we need, you know, being able to help, you know, manage the dynamics in the room, making sure there, are, there isn't anybody, you know, filibustering all the conversation. And how do you politely tell them, you know, be quiet? <laughs> We've heard enough from you. Uh, yeah. You know, so the facilitator role is, you know, <laughs> is essential in the overall picture. And they set the objectives, they set the ground rules, you know, and ultimately lead to the end results. Does it ever get ugly in any way? The temperature in the room at times can rise. You know, you, you can feel the tension and that means it's a good game. To me, when that's happening, yeah, yeah. even though it makes people often uncomfortable, you know, conflict isn't always bad, right? If it's done well and, and done professionally. Now, yeah, if anyone starts getting, you know, flat out mean or attacking, that's not the purpose. This is not an opportunity to, even though we try to say it's a safe environment, you know, it, I mean, it's a forum to sit there and go off on some group um, <laughs> that, that may not be doing all the things that you would want to have done to execute your plan. Uh, it is about, how do we evolve our business here and how do we improve? You know, so, uh, yeah, so it doesn't get ugly, but it definitely can get intense. <laughs> you know, no doubt. So that was an introduction to business wargaming. On our next episode, we discuss what organizations can do to conduct their own war games, how proper pre-planning ensures a successful campaign, and we get into the specifics of war game exercises. What are some different types of exercises that you think you could describe that goes on in a war game? Uh, a lot of push-ups, jumping jacks. Uh, no. <laughs> no, so uh, the, the, no, there's a couple of staples, a couple of them that we will include. To learn more about Wargaming, visit ProactiveWorldwide.com slash Wargaming and keep your gold safe.